0: All right, y'all welcome back to another podcast episode and I am so excited to have a another parent here today, but this one is particularly special because this is actually the first time that we are going to have an explicit conversation about AAC devices on the podcast. I've referenced it in many different episodes, but this would be a great episode to listen to If you've been wondering what an AAC device is, and also if that is a good support for your child. So, what AAC stands for is Augmentative and Alternative Communication Device. So, it is a different way for your child to be able to speak and communicate with you. So, I have Aaron, and I met Aaron literally. Through Instagram. Her handle is Spins and Stomps. And she has a little girl, and she's going to share her story with us today. Welcome to a parenting space actually designed for you, where you can get answers about navigating a life that includes autism. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental coach specializing in neurodivergent affirming care. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. And I know firsthand the impact autism can have. I was 12 years old when my little brother was diagnosed and my family had to learn how to navigate the autism journey. It wasn't always easy. Two decades later, I now create resources and services I wish my family had, including this podcast, and I developed the whole family approach. On this podcast, of course, we will talk about autism, but we will also talk about your personal growth and well-being as a parent, supporting your non-autistic children, and sharing personal stories of other families so you know you're not alone. Quick disclaimer before we jump into today's episode. Anything shared on this podcast should not be considered clinical advice, and you should consult with your team of medical, mental health, and developmental providers if you need support. So Aaron, welcome to the podcast.
1: I'm so excited to have you here today. Hi, yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here, happy to share about our experience with AAC in particular. This has been something that basically since the moment we started it, and realize how beneficial it was to our family, we would pretty much talk to anyone who would listen to us about it. Hence, like why I started my page really is to just help other families see what options are out there and help guide them through that process a little bit. So, yeah. I love that. So let's start off and have you tell us a little bit about your family and Mm -hmm. just introduce us to you. Sure. Yeah. So my husband and I go way back. We met in middle school, actually. So we've been together a long time. And we actually have two two children and one on the way, expecting pretty much this week. So Riley is our daughter. She's our oldest. She's three and a half. She is autistic. And then we have Sloan, our two-year-old son. He's neurotypical. And then we have our baby girl on the way. So that is, and then we have our fur baby, Hosmer, who you might see on my page every once in a while, too. So yeah, that's our family. We have strong support from my mother-in-law, which has been incredible for us and to be able to help really make it so that we can provide the supports that we want to for Riley. So family support has been huge for us.
0: I love that. And yes, thank you so much for making time. I know I DM'd you and I was like, would you be willing? You're like, I'm about to be first soon. So we it. And I was like, let's do it. So this seems, like I said, such an important topic. Take us back a little bit about Riley's diagnosis. When did mm-hmm. you first start having concerns and when did mm-hmm. she actually get diagnosed?
1: Yeah, I would say, I started to notice some differences in her speech and language development around 18 months. At that time, of course, it was 2019 or 12. It was during the pandemic, of course. So she had not been out of the home. Um, We had not been around even family at that point. We just had a big move. And we also just introduced another baby into the house. So there were a lot of moving pieces. That being said, I still messaged our pediatrician because her first words I want to say were like around 15 months, and there was data. There was clearly data. There wasn't necessarily mama, and the words I would say were they were things from like books and nursery rhymes. They weren't within the realm of what I would typically have expected. Oh, up down, things like that. They weren't what we would describe as like functional, helping her get needs met or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But we didn't really seem to notice at that time. It was at 18 months. What we really noticed was we weren't making any progress. We weren't gaining new words and we even actually lost some words. So help went away. I was pregnant at the time or earlier. So baby went away. So that concerned us. So we, sh- we shot a message to our pediatrician who said, Hey, there's wait lists. Let's just get you on a wait list to go see a speech therapist. And I want to say it was like a little bit closer to two that we actually got in with the speech therapist through insurance. And they said the expressive and receptive isn't severely delayed. So she qualified for once a month. Oh, wow. Yeah. Once a month was what they had qualified her for. And even in that time, there were gaps because of just how heavy their caseload was. So it wasn't even consistently each month. Yeah. And was it virtual? Because Uh, This was actually in person. This was in person. So yeah, it was once a month in person. And it was, I think we did the M chat at 18 months with her regular pediatrician. And I, there wasn't, Anything noted to us at that time, but by her 24 month, in addition to our concerns with the speech and language, we had a lot of like behavioral things that we were finding very challenging. We didn't know anything about autism. We didn't know anything about sensor pressing differences. We just knew this is very hard. Everything is hard. Getting dressed is hard, leaving our house is hard. We couldn't even go to the park without a full-blown meltdown. Frustrations over communication because she couldn't get her needs met. So there were all these moving pieces that at the time really didn't make sense to us as parents because we didn't really put it all together. We didn't really know what we were looking at. We were just like, this seems a lot harder than it should be. Like we're both very patient people. We're trying to employ all these practices. We're trying to educate ourselves. We're trying to do everything we felt was the right thing. And it just, it was really hard. And so at that point, we scheduled an appointment with our pediatrician just to talk about sleep challenges activity level challenges chewing non edible items all of these like yeah. maybe sensory components so in addition to speech therapy she initiated a referral for occupational therapy so that's how we started with that and again that was her insurance once a month and at her two year visit they did the mchat again and said okay based on her score let's go ahead and refer you to a developmental pediatrician and that was the first time with the developmental pediatrician and at that point that the word autism started being used. And so we, there was a whole process on the parenting side of accepting that and working through those emotions. Yeah. So that was where we got started and at the ages that we started to notice things and put things together. So it was really at two years old that we started on the path towards diagnosis. And at that time, Uh, The developmental pediatrician was not comfortable diagnosing her at that time. She actually was asleep for the appointment because of sleep disturbances. She had been awake the night prior and was not able to be woken for the appointment. So based on parent interview, he said, there are traits present. I'll put in a referral for ABA therapy. And I recommend getting started with the regional center for early intervention. So at two, we started early intervention. She qualified for speech and OT. It was once a week that she qualified for. Okay. So we did, we started that. But at the time, I just really felt like her speech therapy, it was, we weren't making progress. They were using a traditional analytic approach. I had never heard of gestalt language processing or AAC or any of these things, but I, we were doing all the reading, doing all the singing, doing all of the modeling. And it, we just weren't going anywhere. And if we did go somewhere, it was what we said was picked up as a chunk. So the two words that she did pick up by car was by car for everything. There was no flexibility. We were noticing there was no like originality with it. There was no mixing and matching like we've seen now with our son. And so that struck me as interesting. We also had a lot of like long, long, long strings of what we know is unintelligible language now, but we were told was jargon where it clearly looked like she was singing or dancing or doing something, but we just couldn't understand it. And then a lot of single word labels or words that came directly from, as she got more intelligible, words that came directly from nursery rhymes or books, just repetition, a repetition there. I started poking around on the internet and that was how I came across meaningful speech, and just thought language processing and started putting all the pieces together as to, okay, maybe this is why we're not making progress. Maybe she's developed, maybe she develops language in a different way.
0: Different way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a, a few thoughts, just to comment, even talking about, cause I want parents to, as they're listening to this, if maybe their child isn't diagnosed or they're not making progress in speech language therapy, I want to even point out how in the beginning you said, okay, yeah, she said dada, but it sounded like more words from books and nursery rhymes. Mm-hmm. And right mm-hmm. there, obviously, I know from your Instagram page, she's a Gestalt Language Processor. Mm-hmm. but Right there, I was going, okay, there's some early evidence. So mm-hmm. just to point that out to parents. Right. And what assault language processing is for those that aren't familiar is that your child learns language by, by how they hear it. And so this is where you're getting the whole chunks or you're mm-hmm. getting words imitated back in the same exact way. And mm-hmm. it's a form of language processing compared to analytical language processors do the babbling to single words to two word phrases mm-hmm. to longer phrases to sentences who I'm curious for you Erin who was the first person to bring up the salt language processing or was this your own research
1: Found it on the internet okay. yeah
0: okay okay can so with- even mentioned it it
1: was just no deep in the depths of Google yeah and when at the time this was like 2020 when at the time when I even brought it up to providers it was like I had two heads like I like even, even her speech therapist at the time was, didn't know, even at school or her current at school, the speech therapist was not familiar with just all language processing. Yeah. So it's becoming more, it's becoming more understood or the knowledge about it is becoming more prevalent. But yeah, at the time, no, it was just something I, I came across and it, it all made sense. The meaningful speech, the speech therapist who runs that page, she has a registry mm-hmm. of speech therapists that are trained in natural language acquisition. So on a hunch, we booked a interview with a speech therapist and an evaluation to see if the therapist thought that Riley was a gestalt language processor. Okay. Wow.
0: That's such a good resource to know about. And mm-hmm. I think social media is wonderful in that way because you truly can gain so much information. And I think that's awesome. Then finding a provider who mm-hmm. not only was aware of it, but also was listening and supporting you. And I do want to point out because this doesn't always happen. It sounds like your pediatrician was pretty supportive yes. of the process.
1: Yes. I will say that was a key piece of getting early intervention started and getting the supports even without prior to diagnosis. So Riley has a school diagnosis. As of right now, we have been on wait list. So initially our pediatrician said, okay, go through developmental peds and our wait lists are really long. So get on the regional center's wait list and she can hopefully be evaluated there. So they put us on that wait list. And then when she turned three, they said, oh no, she's, She aged out, out and now it's your insurance's responsibility. So then we had to go back and get on a new wait list. And actually, we just got the call. So we her medical eval will be coming up in the next month or so. So it's been a long process, but we've learned so much, and we've still been able to implement all kinds of support in the meantime because our pediatrician was didn't give us any pushback and was able to see the sensory components and make those referrals for speech therapy and occupational therapy. And then she's, and then the school district did their evaluation and she was able to receive services through the school.
0: Okay, that's good. Yeah. And the process can be so incredibly long. And I also, something you said, I think is really important here because you had said being a COVID kid where Mm -hmm. she wasn't exposed to other people, that's a common concern I'm getting right now as a provider of being like, how do I know if this is just like an artifact of the pandemic versus autism? We still should see a lot of those skills developed Mm -hmm. in the home. And the other thing is, is usually too, that kids just naturally pick up these things, neurotypical kids do. And so that can be that difference of, is it a lack of exposure? We should see a lot of strong like imitation and Mm -hmm. spoken language things that we know developmental delays are more common because of Pandemic, which then, like you were describing, puts a stressor on the system getting services month. Mm-hmm. That's really hard as a parent to find that momentum. But yeah, yeah and, and some of it probably is it's this whole process for you is drawn out even more because what we've seen is such an increase in referrals, which yeah. in some ways I'm, as a provider, I'm so grateful for because parents mm-hmm. are learning that okay, like we can do this. We can do this early. We can get the support mm-hmm. we need and our medical system is broken, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I, and I will say it's great that the, even though the, the the referral loads are higher for specialists, it's really great because we were initially told by our even though she helped us access services without any pushback, she also is not a specialist in in autism or what that presents like differently for girls versus boys, she initially told us, oh, sure, I'll put this in, but don't worry, I don't see any red flags. Riley makes eye contact or she, whatever, fill in the blank, that stereotypical thing. It's really good that people who, providers like speech therapists and occupational therapists who work a lot more closely with these patients and clients can really give that feedback to parents because I think other providers maybe sometimes just for lack of knowledge, maybe might guide parents down a different route. So in that sense, and I think in addition to the differences in speech and language, it was really the social emotional and like that reciprocity that I now know is called joint attention. The It was the social piece that was actually the biggest for me in addition to the speech and language okay. that, that I really picked up on at two years old. It's like my child. When I push them down the slide, I would expect them to look up at me and see if I, what their reaction was or what my reaction was. Or when I come home from work and I say, hi, Ray, I would expect she'd come running to me to the door. So a lot of those pieces were not adding up in addition to the speech and language differences. And gosh, it just feels really hard to play together. You're really great at playing by yourself, but I would expect you to want to engage with me during play. And so... All of those moving pieces together made it a little bit more clear as to getting getting more referrals and asking more questions.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And those are things when we think of the pandemic and your child not being exposed to other children, they were exposed to you quite a lot during the pandemic. And those would be what we would expect neurotypical toddlers to do. And so understanding that those differences could be indicators to explore autism if you haven't Mm -hmm. explored that diagnosis yet. What other part of this, like early part of your story, I'm curious about? So, with the developmental pediatrician
1: mm-hmm.
0: referring you to ABA, is that a route that you chose to go? And what was your thought process there?
1: Sure. So, we had never heard of ABA before. We were, like I said, again, new to learning everything about autism. And we were told this if you got to start early with therapies and this is the gold standard and this is going to ha- how you're going to help your child. And as a parent, when a provider is telling a doctor telling you that you are inclined to listen, and so we did. We started the referral for that and poked around on the internet again to see what this was all about, what we were getting ourselves into, and immediately upon a Google search realized, oh, there's some controversy behind this. And then we thought, why? And it was really, it was really, it was really autistic self advocates that we. Realized from that community that was where the negative or not pleasant experiences and were coming from, and so we we decided okay let's we felt very conflicted. We were like let's start it. So we did two two sessions, and just within that time frame, and seeing the practices that were done, there was it was very compliance based. It just didn't align with like our personal and parenting values. A yep. very compliance based. There was a heavy emphasis on trying to get Riley to act the way neurotypical children act, give eye contact goals, sharing goals, or back and forth play, pretend play. And at the time, those things just didn't feel important to me. I wanted her to be happy. I wanted her to be able to communicate her needs. There was a strong emphasis on using speech and not acknowledging any other type of communication, which just... As a in my gut, as a parent, didn't feel right because yeah. she's trying. I know what she wants, and I know she's trying to communicate with me. I don't want to deter that just because we want her to speak. So there was quite a few things just from our personal experience that we did not find very helpful. And we, when we really sat back and thought about the behaviors that were challenging for us as a family, it really centered around around frustrations with communication breakdown and sensory seeking behaviors. And we thought we should be going to the providers that can help best with that, which is speech and OT. We went ahead and declined ABA services and asked for an increase in occupational therapy and speech therapy. And that was where we went. Yeah, so it was really guided by our own experience and then just the feedback from the autistic community themselves. Because even though the medical community has a lot of research and evidence, we also wanted wanted to listen to the lived experience of people who had been through that therapy themselves. And as a parent, that was really important to us.
0: Yeah. And I think you made so many like beautiful points there of like your inclination as a parent is to listen to this provider. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one way that the medical community And I'm part of that in some ways as a whole, we need to catch up and understand what is going on because I think time and time again, the go-to recommendation is ABA. And so if anyone is listening right now and wondering a little bit more on the controversy and all of that, I did summarize that. I believe it's episode 26 of why ABA is controversial and just being able to educate yourself. I'm a really big proponent of informed consent for parents, understanding all of the information. And then I love that you listen to your gut and also understood like what your values are, what your parenting mm-hmm. approaches were, how that overlapped. And I think that is so incredibly important when making any services decision for your child and for your family.
1: Yeah. And that's how we've, learned. Initially, it felt like, gosh, things have to be so different because our child is developing differently. Our child is autistic. And along this journey, now having a second child that's neurotypical, it's like, actually, a lot of these, a lot of these same foundational questions that are help guiding our parenting are the same exact things that we do with our son as well. And our goals for both of them are to help them be happy, help them live their most fulfilled and life to the best of their abilities. And so that that has helped guide us in our decision-making as well. Yeah. I love that.
0: Yeah. And I think when it's really naturalistic, really supportive, really affirming, it works mm-hmm. for all children. Mm-hmm. It's not just autistic or neurodivergent children where it's like these skills only work. It's yeah. no, this is how, you know, you enter a child's world and support mm-hmm. them what their needs are and also really promoting their strengths and all of this. I think any parent taking a step back, regardless if their kids are neurotypical or neurodivergent, Those those values really align with what's important when parenting for most parents, I would say. So talk a little bit then, I'm curious, how did AAC first come into the picture Mm -hmm. for you? Real quick, just a brief interruption, because I want you to know you don't have to navigate this journey alone. If you're in a place where you have concerns about your child's development, you've been on the search for a therapist that provides evidence-informed neurodivergent affirming care, or you're needing more support as a parent, the whole family approach may be a good fit for you. Autism doesn't just impact your child's life, so you deserve care that works for your child and your whole family. Head to the link in the show notes to schedule a complimentary call where we can chat about your unique circumstances. We can help you decide if Dr. Tay concierge clinical care would be a good fit for your family. And if not, we will provide you resources for your next best steps.
1: So after we had that hunch and we got the referral with the NLA trained speech therapist, we went ahead and started working with her and it was about three sessions in at the time, a lot, it was either single words that Riley had that were generalized. They were not always in the correct context. So it was either single words, long, unintelligible strings of language. So after th- about three sessions, she said, hey, would you guys be interested in AAC? And showed us the iPad. And at first, our, we were initially shocked, and we had never heard of this. And we thought, gosh, is this going to prevent Riley from speaking? Is this going to pigeonhole us into going down one path or the other, either speaking or non-speaking? And she, yeah, she said, no, actually, the research is showing that it it helps promote verbal communication and speech. And so at that point, we were like, we have nothing to lose. My goal at that time was preparing Riley to be independent and autonomous in her communication. I did not want to have her need to rely on me to translate for her or communicate. I wanted her to have some independence and for safety reasons. So we said, yeah, let's do it and oh, we'll see sh- where we go. And she was two. Okay. Okay. She was two. Yeah. And she hadn't been around te- technology before. But what our speech therapist did was so Riley's original gestalts came from, most of them came from Coco Melon. And she would use those songs to communicate with us. So if she was upset or she fell and hurt herself, at first I couldn't understand it, but she would say, Hi, knee, hi, knee, ouchie. I was like, what is that? And then eventually I learned, oh, that's honey, honey, ouchie, ouchie. And that's how she was communicating to us. I got hurt or I hurt myself. So that's how putting those pieces together that she was pulling these songs or these scripts from media to communicate a need to us was how we learned that she was a Gestalt language processor.
0: Yeah. And um, so functional. Once you yeah. understand that, it might yeah. not initially seem functional. Mm-hmm but yes. so functional. She's
1: yes. literally tell, like replicating yeah. it and being like, wow, yeah. I'm her. Mm-hmm. Yes, and hers were, hers are and were for the most part, pretty literal. Some children's are not. It right. could be to, infinity be to infinity and beyond and it means something entirely, nothing related to that. Exactly. And there, there's a lot of investigative work that we do as parents and that speech therapists do to figure the meaning, the underlying meaning of a assault. But no. yeah, once we started doing that work, And realizing, okay, these phrases that she's saying over and over again, this has some meaning. We just need to figure out the context of that meaning so we know what she's trying to communicate. So yeah, it was to help us bridge that gap in the beginning. So she put those gestalts on the iPad right away. And that drew Riley's attention right away because she was like, hey, this is familiar to me. I know this. And then from there, we started to add... Other targets, things that, you know, let's fix it. So the blocks that she was working on stacking would fall over. And previously, she would get really upset and just start crying and not be able to communicate that she wanted to help fixing it. So we would, we put that gestalt on there, let's fix it, and would just model that every time we wanted, she needed some help. And then eventually she learned, okay, this is a two, this is, I can get some help with this. This is a communication system. And so that was, yeah, it was about three sessions in we started, we introduced her to it and it, it was about four, four, maybe four to six months of modeling without expectation. And then after that time period is when she really picked up that it was a two-way communication system and started using it herself to make requests or her needs known. Another big piece for us when we first started using AAC was during meltdowns. When, that, when her verbal speech was not accessible to her, we had some of her favorite regulation strategies on there. So let's go for a car ride or let's go to Jaja's house. Jaja is her grandmother. Yeah. So when she was having a meltdown and couldn't communicate with us verbally, I would just go over and get the device and show it to her. And even though she couldn't speak at the time, she could just press the button. Let's go for a car ride. Let's go for a car ride. And immediately we could just see her body start to calm and peace that she was able to m- make her needs known. Yeah. It was life-changing for our family to introduce this communication tool yeah. for us. It's a tool I feel like that finally allows
0: these children to feel seen and heard. Mm-hmm. I use the analogy a lot too. It's like going to a foreign country and no one speaks mm-hmm. your language. Yes. and You're trying to... Get something you need help. It starts to become frustrating, and that's the thing is sometimes we aren't speaking Mm -hmm. autistic kiddo's language, and so we Mm got to figure out how do we bridge the gap. And so AAC can be such a beautiful strategy and tool for that. So would you mind, I'm a little curious because there's listening to this, speaking with your speech language pathologist is a great place to start, Mm -hmm. but for yours specifically, it sounds like it's on an iPad. So is it an app
1: then? Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's an application that we downloaded to the iPad and that that's how we use it. It's on the iPad.
0: What app is that? Do you happen to know?
1: Yeah. The app we use is called touch chat with word power for HD. Okay. Awesome.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's lots of different apps for sure. Just curious, are there other things on this iPad? Like can she play games or watch like YouTube on it? How do you?
1: Yeah. So initially there was, and you can, our speech therapist showed us, you can put it on what's called guided access where you can basically lock it into the one app that you're using. So you can lock it into just the AAC app. And that worked fine when Riley was two because she didn't know about Netflix and YouTube and she wasn't proficient at navigating through the device. As she got closer to three and three and a half and knew, hey, I can unlock this or not that she knew how to, but that the possibility was there. Then it became a battle over. I don't want to use this for communication. I want to use it for YouTube because I know that's also on this. So at that point, we went ahead and switched to two different electronic devices, the iPad is solely for communication and we always have it in guided access mode. And then she knows she has an Amazon Fire tablet, which is not as expensive of a device. And that one is what we use for media and exploring. Okay.
0: Yeah. Would you recommend like families that are brand new to AAC, if they're going with an app on an iPad, would you recommend starting out with them?
1: I would. Yeah, I would. And I think that fire tablets are something like $50 or something. So I would, because it just takes out a whole, it can take out a whole nother battle in and of itself that you just go ahead and get rid of off the bat. So, yeah.
0: Absolutely. So, this app, because one, okay. So, one of the things that I hear scrolling on social media, Mm -hmm. honestly, is AAC with Gestalt language processor, Mm -hmm. how that can work. So, it sounds so like the version you're using, you can just add the Gestalt super easily into this app.
1: Yes. And from what I hear, there's the capability to do that in the other apps as well. I don't know the other apps because This was the only app that we started with and used, but I do know that there's that capability there with other apps as well. But basically our speech therapist put a folder. So there's different pages on the application that have different groups and things. So she just created a folder that says basically Riley's phrases. She can click it. It opens up and it has all of the gestalts that we've programmed over the past year and a half on there. And that was when she was really in the initial stages of natural language acquisition, stage one, where you get that whole gestalt. And then now she's using that page less because she's in stage three, where she's breaking apart single words, isolating those single words and realizing they have meaning on their own and starting to combine two, two words together. So now we've gone back and made some edits to the pages that previously had full gestalts on them. So there's lots of flexibility around that as well. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, my understanding the apps I think a lot of times give more flexibility for that. You mm-hmm. can also get like AAC devices which are mm-hmm. like made by companies. Yes. My understanding I think those don't have as much flexibility yeah. and that's like more I could be wrong, but more the like old school version of AAC. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I feel like the rise of these apps have been yeah. such a game changer.
1: Do you know anything about that? Or I don't know much about the, like the pre-programmed speech generating devices. I know the one that we've used, but definitely something for parents to talk about with their speech language provider in terms of pros and cons of each, cost, flexibility, things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And I think it's also important to realize that the large majority of autistic kiddos are GLP, you know, language processors. And so I think that can be part of the conversation. I also know, did you guys go this route in any way of having insurance pay
1: for? We started the, we asked and we initiated that. Riley didn't have a diagnosis at the time and they gave a lot of pushback. They sent over like a 30 page document of all the requirements that needed to be met. And it just felt really overwhelming to me. And at this point I was already like, we know she's a gestalt language processor. We now know that this device could just be an iPad and an application. So I did not want to wait and battle with insurance. And so we just went ahead and, and just like the whole family came together, just crowdfunded (laughs) really and got the iPad and the app and we just got started as soon as we could. But that is a, an option. Absolutely. And for older kids, the school districts and funding as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I recently had a family and it's so endearing of Mm -hmm. doing, I did the diagnosis and then I'll get Mm a of being like, okay, he tried an ASC for the first time. And then like, he finally got his insurance funded yes. AAC device. But I want to say, I'd have to look. I don't remember exact dates. But yeah. It took a good six months. It's so yes. So knowing
1: that's a possibility, but yeah. also
0: knowing anything through insurance tends yes. to. Yes.
1: And what I've learned along the way too is if going through insurance is really, because there are benefits to that too, if something absolutely. happens to the device, there are absolutely benefits to not doing private funding for the AAC But in the meantime, a lot of these apps have uh, printable, downloadable, what they call light tech versions that parents can print, laminate, use around their house and start introducing these concepts before they actually get the high tech device. Yeah. So something to think about, too, if parents are really wanting to go the insurance route, but want to get started right away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we actually have a really, there's an episode, I forget what number it is on visual supports too. We didn't go into AAC in that, but how you can use different pictures, things yeah. like that, creating a predictable routine, like first, then. Yeah. I love that idea to be able to start the exposure process while yes. you're waiting for insurance to kick. Mm-hmm. Can you give us some examples now of what Riley using the
1: device, what that looks like for her? Yep. So most, she still uses it to communicate things that she, that are unintelligible. If other communication partners that don't really know what, like I know what Starbucks sounds like for her when she says it, but other people don't know that. So when she's getting frustrated, she can get her device and go over to it and press that button so that they know. She also is working on some motor planning. So she uses her device to practice saying words over and over again, because just putting all those pieces together of moving her, coordinating the movements of her mouth, tongue, lips, jaw, all of that, it takes her a long time sometimes. Like I think it took around a year for her to be able to intelligibly say watermelon. But what she does is she'll go over to her device and she'll press the button. It'll speak the word and then she will try to say it. So she'll do that over and over again. And that's, with different words. And so that's actually one of her biggest uses for the device at this time, at this point in time, is exploring different words and learning how to say them and create the motor plan to be able to say them. Additionally, we do use it as like a visual support to lock in or concrete ideas. Like we went to the mall for the first time and in like, we could just say we're at the mall, but that might not stick as concretely As when I go to her device and I put go and then mall and I show her those two pieces together and we mall and we take note of our surroundings. For her, that tends to stick a little bit more. I'm noticing. Yeah. Trying to think as well. Oh, and she loves to script on her device. So she will press the different buttons and sing Apples and Bananas. I like to eat eat, and she'll press apples and bananas and, or she'll go sing old McDonald Had a farm and go through all the farm animals and the sounds and stuff. So yeah, that's primarily what she uses it for, but definitely still with new communication partners really helps in terms of helping to get her needs met and self-advocacy. So I would stop or things that are harder for her to say if she is not able to access verbal speech. It's been really helpful, like at the doctor's office and things like that. That's
0: awesome. And yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense too, is not only is this device speaking for her and for other children as well, Mm -hmm. but when you're saying like it makes it more concrete for her, we, a lot of autistic kids are strong visual processors. Mm -hmm. They learn that way. And the other thing is, and we talked about this in that visual supports episode is it's a lasting thing that they keep <laughs> going back to yes. and referencing versus words are in and out. They're yep. gone as we're speaking. So I think that makes so, so much sense. Would you say she's pretty self-directed with all of this at the this point? Like even the motor planning thing, she'll just yes. go do Yep. It. This
1: is all self-directed. She actually doesn't, she prefers me not to touch her device now. She knows it's <laughs> accessible. She knows where it charges. She knows where it lives in our house. She goes and gets it whenever she wants. She actually can now verbally ask for it, which is nice because in the beginning stages, we had to bring it to her all the time. But if she's at school now, she can verbally request it. And ideally it's with her at all times, but if it's charging or things like that, it's, she can request it, but yeah, she's self-directed. She navigates through all the pages on her own. Yeah. Wow. And
0: can you talk a little bit about what her verbal communication Mm -hmm. is like currently?
1: Yep. I mentioned we're in stage three of natural language acquisition. So, a lot of referential single words, which have been broken apart in the beginning stages. We had a single word truck, but all trucks were truck or trash truck. All trucks were trash truck. And now we're excavator or trash truck, school bus, fire engine. We're really, and with pointing or holding up the item to show me that it truly is referencing that one item. I know that not all writing utensils are pencils. This is a crayon and this is a pen. So that's been really cool. And where we see that with analytic processors is closer, like that referential pointing is more like 10 months because that's where they got their single words and they're starting to combine them and referencing them. Now we're seeing that with her. So a lot of single words, and we're starting to combine messy hands or green hands, if we've got paint on our hands, and just taking that all in, combining those. She's actually also starting to experiment with some grammar. When she's upset, she'll say, I sad or me sad, which is really exciting as well. I'm starting to explore some verbs as well. So again, AAC helps us bridge that gap because sometimes she's still not able to get her needs met by just saying a single word or just describing something. So we're still definitely using AAC to bridge that communication gap, but very exciting as we're seeing her being able to have verbal communication that people, more people understand, because it's not from a nursery rhyme or a song. It's a word that's actually referencing an object that other people understand as well. So like speaking the same language has been really exciting and I'll say the AAC device also just helps reduce anxiety for her too because of that communication difference it's like okay I know if I'm not understood I have this device here that someone can understand me if I use this if they're not understanding what I'm saying yeah. so yeah I'd say as far as how I think I get asked a lot like what percentage of the day would like Riley speak versus you use AAC and I guess I'd say it's like most of the day she speaks, like I'd say, I don't know, 75% of the day we can understand what she needs, even if it's just single words or two word combos, but still uses her AAC device quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's so awesome. Mm -hmm. Anything else you can think of that you want parents to hear about AAC or gestalt language processing that feels important we haven't touched on?
1: I think yeah and most important piece I think is what you already mentioned that If you're working with an autistic child or you have an autistic child, it's just so important to know that 85%, if not more, are suspected to be gestalt language processors. So if you haven't heard of that, but your child is autistic, maybe just take a look into that because it's very, very common amongst the the community. And then again, AAC doesn't need to be all or nothing. It could be like a bridge or a stepping stone to full verbal communication or self-generated language. And it helps the child like in the initial stages and you're not, you don't have to decide whether it's speaking versus AAC. It can be a combo of both, or it could be the child uses AAC in the beginning and then they don't need it anymore and they don't use it, or they choose to have it in their life for times when they are not able to access verbal speech. So it's not all or nothing. And it can be a really helpful tool in the beginning, especially.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that point is so important. And you even said in the beginning of this, you were worried that it would be all or nothing. Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. either we're fully using AAC and a speaking device, and that means no verbal speech or Mm -hmm. we're sticking to the verbal speech. And it really sounds, you get painted such a beautiful example of how it's helped to expand her gestalts and Mm -hmm. help her progress through the different stages of gestalt language processing and all of that
1: yeah and just and just in general like the motor planning and being able to practice words independently on her own yeah we can see the picture now as to okay she's she's probably not going to be someone that uses aac her whole life but this has been a huge, huge support for her at this time in her life and to help her gain that confidence and those skills and security. Oh,
0: I love that. Yeah. And I'm hoping to have someone on the podcast soon, like a speech language pathologist yeah. to talk about the language processing and mm-hmm. break it down in the search right now to try to see if I can get a, an SLP as a guest on the podcast who oh, yeah. really knows about that. Cause I think that's the other thing. And you referred to this and alluded to this is not all speech language Pathologists Mm -hmm. understand the salt language processing. And this is not because they don't want to or a fault. It's they literally aren't exposed. And what we're seeing is this uptick of SLPs who want to educate themselves. And that's where we're seeing this expansion. And even as a psychologist, like, I didn't know about it. And it's been a lot of self-education. It definitely was never taught in my training. And I actually worked with a lot of SLPs as part of my training. And yeah, but I'm so glad that we're seeing this increase about education around GLPs. What would you say for you has been the hardest part of this journey?
1: I think, honestly, I guess just wrapping my mind around... The different expectation that I had going into parenthood and what I thought that parenthood was supposed to look like or what childhood was supposed to look like, that shift, I think, letting go of my expectations and, and just moving towards celebrating and supporting the child I have was one of the biggest mindset shifts that both my husband and I worked through in the beginning. And I think is hard for a lot of parents You, when you have a child, some people might think about having a child with support needs. And I certainly didn't. And so that was a whole new learning curve. But once I just realized my child is my child and the a diagnosis is not going to change who they are. I love everything about them as they are. And so it's now my job to just open my mind to understanding and learning and supporting her. And yeah, I think that was just the biggest mindset shift. But once we got there, it was like, all right, the pieces started coming together and it became easier and easier. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I really say to all parents, it is okay to go through this emotional journey and feeling all these different emotions as you're navigating it Mm -hmm. because you're human. That is normal and natural. And that doesn't mean you don't love and support your child and accept your child. Mm -hmm. And I love how you went from really not even having an understanding of what autism was to now you've really come full circle and you're educating parents on Instagram and really talking about affirming practices and all of that. Mm -hmm. So real quick, how did the Instagram start?
1: It started just from a genuine need from myself as a parent in those initial stages of being I didn't know what I didn't know about autism and what I knew was what the medical community said or what the media showed. And I just felt like it was always just this negative picture, this negative light, this, oh, everything is going to be so hard. And I really needed to see other families living, thriving, supporting their kids, experiencing joyful moments and affirming who their kids were. And so that was out of the need that that I needed to see, I wanted to help create that uh, for other parents and to just show that you can support your child. You can be, they can thrive. And so that was really what sparked our page. And it just grew as we connected with other professionals and other parents. And I've loved learning and being on this journey with other parents and providers and specifically learning from the autistic community. That's been like the biggest support.
0: Totally. Yeah. And you've
1: created such a
0: community and I absolutely love what you share, which is why I reached out to you because I do think understanding what autism can look like, it can take away. I think there's a lot of fear that's Mm -hmm. in in the medical community and realizing that it can be this beautiful journey. And I love how you share so openly. So thank you. And we'll be sure to definitely link your Instagram below so people can come give you a follow before we
1: wrap up anything else that you wanted to be able to share with parents that are listening today. Just thanks for being here. Thanks for educating yourself. I think that's the most empowering thing you can do for yourself and your child is to educate yourself and lead with love. And you got this. Well, I love that.
0: Thank you so much for being here today and best of luck with bringing the new baby into the world. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Thank you. All right, y'all. That is a wrap for today's episode of Evolve with Dr. Tick. We'll see you back soon. Before we wrap up this episode, for real this time, I want to share a couple ways you can get even more value and what your next steps could be. First, join the Evolve Facebook group. We do Q&As about the episodes and so much more. I linked that group, my personal social media pages, and any resources I mentioned in this episode in the show notes. So scroll down now and join me online. When you submit questions on any of my pages, your question could be featured on this podcast. How cool is that? I love being able to speak on topics that feel directly relevant to your life. Your questions truly make a difference in the content we create here. One last thing, do your fellow autism parents a favor. Share this episode on your social media and tag me. Autism currently affects one in 36 families in the United States and many more worldwide. So I'm sure there is a parent in your social media followers that could be served by this podcast. Thank you again for being here. And I'm so grateful we shared this time together. Bye y'all.